Welcome back, or welcome to Grateful and Full of Greatness. I'm your host, Mark Lassini. On this podcast, I sit down with guests who, in my opinion, live their lives with the pursuit of greatness in mind. This platform allows me to discuss and to explain strategies that go into reaching peak performance. This is episode 16. My guest, Mike Rabel. As a founder of the Premier Lacrosse League, he has combined his passion for sport with unique skill sets in business, marketing, and entrepreneurship to match the demands of lacrosse fans, sports enthusiasts, and the mass population, which is always looking for new, engaging forms of entertainment. Through his expertise and the PLL's core values, they have built and innovated a juggernaut company that has and will continue to expand lacrosse, a sport of the past, present, and future. On top of playing primary roles on founding teams for other successful startup businesses, Mike Rabel continues to embody extreme empathy, leadership, and fortitude as the CEO of the PLL, especially through today's current pandemic. He's a five-time entrepreneur, and he was part of the management team of Funding Circle, helped to take it public to the London Stock Exchange. It's not hard to get excited for this one. Mike, it's a privilege. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Marky. Appreciate it, man. With you at the helm, the PLL just pulled off a safe and successful three-week championship series. What are your emotions and reflections now that it's over? Oh, man, it's a good question. I think it's two parts. Um, it's, uh, it's one, I miss being there um, with the players, and I miss being in an environment that we were able to keep for a, a month of, uh, of, of hard, hard-hitting lacrosse and the, and the best lacrosse in the world. And I think. Um, being able to be in that environment where it was COVID free, we were able to set up what I was calling uh, more of a force field rather than a bubble allowed us to feel like we were about back in sort of everyday life again, which, um, you know, has been taken from us since, since March, right. I, I've been practicing quarantine and social distancing and really trying to be thoughtful about who I interact with just for everyone's safety. And, you know, we were able to create this environment where um, we could kind of walk around and, and see each other and uh, hug each other and, and, and watch the best you know lacrosse players play. And, and it was on television. And I think it brought back a sense of normalcy um, for me personally. So I, I miss that. Um, and I miss being able to, to give hugs to, to the players and my colleagues. Um, uh, and then, you know, how do I feel? How do I also feel sort of the other side of it is, you know, I'm just, I'm just really, um, appreciative of the hard work that went into structuring uh, the championship series. Um, you know, it was our second year in, uh, in this new, in this new sports league and uh, we had to build it and sort of rebuild it from the ground up. Uh, and so we had a successful 2019 season and then going into 2020, we had high expectations and a lot of things planned. Um, and then, you know, the pandemic hit and just like everyone else in the world adjustments needed to be made. Uh, and, and that was hard to stomach, but um, you can either sit there and feel sorry for yourself or you can kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get to work. And, and so I'm grateful that I had a, an incredible team that saw that same vision and, and was bought in to do that uh, and was able to structure a great, uh, a great environment for us to play safely for, for the, you know, almost a month. And then the, and then the last, second piece to that is, and I'm just also grateful that the players took it seriously. You know, a lot of other leagues have had issues with, you know, players going out to bars and, and not doing the, the, the pre-quarantine. And, and, you know, uh, we didn't, 
we, we definitely told the players the gravity of, of sort of the 14 day quarantine before the first test, before the travel. And then the second quarantine when they get on site and another test. And, um, we explained that pretty thoroughly, but it was on the players to take it seriously. And the fact that they all stepped up for the most part. And, and I know that, that COVID necessarily doesn't, um, you can't pick if you choose to have it or not, but you know, the majority of our players, um, I think it was about 98% all sort of tested negative in that first, in that first run. And, and, and you know, that was because they were dedicated to playing this league and, and bringing back um, the PLL. So I think those are the things, those are the emotions I'm feeling, the gratefulness. Um, so uh, yeah, I think, I think that's how I'm feeling right now. I, and I love it. I thought you just talked about the dedication of the players and obviously we appreciate that, but you also saw the dedication from the media staff, the medical staff. And I remember having uh, a short conversation with you probably a week and a half uh, into the bubble in Salt Lake. And uh, you, you said something that struck a chord with me, how it was not just important for you to start and keep it going, um, but to finish it, finish it the right way and complete it. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? Why that was so important to you uh, and why you chose those words to say to me? Yeah. Well, I think that whenever I talk to you, you always get it. Like you're, you're a really cerebral guy. So I can be able to have that type of say that those words and you'll, you'll understand kind of where I'm coming from. But for, for me, it's, you know, every single hour was important um, that we were able to maintain protocol. Um, you know, we, we really did uh, have a tight bubble. You know, we had security um, standing outside of our hotel at night to make sure that, you know, uh, no, no colleagues or staff or players went out and, um, we, we were very sort of uh, strict about making sure that we stayed within our bubble, uh, whether it was on site or at the hotel. And uh, we made sure that the vendors that were coming in um, all practiced the same CDC guidelines of preparing food and um, everyone was wearing masks and gloves. And so those things um, had to be maintained throughout the championship series. And if you have one slip up, it could ruin the entire thing. Um, and, you know, because we're on a national stage, because we're on NBC, because there's so many people paying to pay attention to lacrosse and professional lacrosse than ever before, and particularly the PLL, I think that um, the stakes are higher. And we didn't want, you know, it's one thing to get it started and start running smoothly for the first couple of weeks, but we had to get to completion and we had to stay tight on that protocol to make sure there wasn't an outbreak. Um, and I'm just really, you know, fortunate and, and, and happy that we were able to do that. But it took a lot of uh, attention to detail and it took, um, it took a toll, right? Just staying focused and reminding everyone and saying, hey, you know, you got to put your mask on when you walk out and keeping teams separate and, and those things, you just have to stay on it. Um, and it's part of the production of this new environment we're in. And I'm just, I'm just glad and appreciative that everyone fulfilled that and saw it all the way through. Yeah, I, the attention to detail piece, one of the first self-help books you'll ever come across is The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. And this is so important because you may not see a one-to-one -one input to output the day after, but 20 months down, 21 months down the road through this image that you can, you can pull up through Compound Effect, that's where the result is the massive difference. It's a hockey stick, either for positive or negative. Uh, whether it's uh, athletics, business, or medical protocol, it's definitely harder to stay than become, right? So I love that idea of, of finishing all the way through. There's there's a ton of excitement and growth around the sport of lacrosse uh, within the Premier Lacrosse League, especially. But on the flip side, there's many critics and non-believers or doubters who may question whether lacrosse will ever be more than a fringe pro sport. Uh, what are some strategies to continue the growth of the PLL? Yeah, it's something I, I probably spend all of my waking hours thinking about. Uh, and if, if we had a magic wand to wave it, or if there was, um, 
w- one recipe to do it. I think we'd, we'd already be there. And I think it's um, sort of a ground up and, and top down approach. And it's not one thing that's going to bring lacrosse more to the forefront. You know, our goal at the PLL, um, you know, the, the mission is to trailblaze the future of professional sports that's focused on players and fans. Um, and then we also have another mantra that we've been talking about is to become the best sports league in the world, just very simply to become the best sports league in the world. And that's why everyone works at the PLL and that's what we're doing. And there's a lot that goes into that. Um, and so, you know, from a ground up perspective, it's all the little things that we're doing, right? The content, the social, um, is obviously what we're, we're, we're very well known for. Um, the, the mark, the grassroots marketing strategy, getting into communities, um, you know, our PLL Academy business and, and working with people and educating people with the best players in the world, connecting them with our players so they can learn the game, both on the men's and on the women's side. More people paying attention to lacrosse, uh, cross-gender is going to be better uh, for, for the game. Um, and so that's like reaching sort of at the one-to-one level with social, digital. Um, and then, you know, I think a lot of it's storytelling. You know, our, our top-down, you know, our NBC broadcast distribution of, you know, NBC being in over 130 million homes is a big deal. Um, you know, we have four games on NBC this year in a pandemic. Um, and then NBCSN, we had 10 games and that's in 83 million homes. And so being able to get that mass distribution right away is going to allow us to get into more homes and expo- expose more people to the game. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's some storytelling that, we, that we're doing uh, right now that we, we haven't announced. We're really excited about, you know, we flipped the camera on for the last three years. So not only just during this, during the, the league build, but before the league build and what went into that. Um, so we're excited to, to tell that story a bit more. And I think that'll it'll bring a new audience to it. So it's, it's more about, you know, entrepreneurship and business building and, and the blood, sweat and tears that went into this um, and the decision to do it. Um, um, and, and then also sort of what, what it's been like, why we've been building. So we're excited to tell that story. Um, and and so, so I think that those things are, are important. And then, you know, we've run a, uh, I think every voice matters in the sport. And if we can figure out a way or every in sports in general, every voice, voice matters, but if we can figure out a way to aggregate the way people are feeling, that's going to be really important to us. So we uh, most recently ran a fan survey where um, for the first 2000 respondents, it's a 10 minute survey. We donated $1 um, to our PLSS partners. Um, and so we were hoping to get 2000 responses and we've had over 8,000. So to get 8,000 10 minute survey responses is pretty pretty hard to do. Um, and that just shows how rabid our fan base is. They're willing to spend 10 minutes on their phone or on their computer responding to questions that, that we have for them to try to understand them better and see what they want. And so when we can do that, we can make our product better. We can talk about the game more. Um, we can bring our players to life better and in and, and which forms and how they want to consume that is really important to us. So getting those, the, the, their fan feedback and those demographics or psychographics are going to be important as we understand our customer slash our fan a lot better and what new fans are, are, are saying, right? Like, you know, anecdotally, I was reading some of the survey responses um, and, uh, you know, they're either anonymous or not, they can choose. And I remember I was reading one about, and this is again, anecdotal, but, uh, you know, I'm a new fan to, to the PLL, to lacrosse. Um, I caught it on NBC Sports Network and I've been watching it ever since. Um, I think he was an, he was an Archers fan and um, he's like, but I don't understand the rules enough and it's hard for me to explain them to my friends. And so I read that and I was like, oh man, you know, started talking to our head of product and our head of strategy. And I'm like, how do we figure out a way to better explain? And don't get me wrong, NBC and our our production partners, specifically Ryan Boyle, um, has done an incredible job during the broadcast explaining it, but we have to do a a better job off of the broadcast explaining the rules. 
Um, so, you know, if you look at an example like football, I think football has a ton of rules, but it's so ubiquitous that everyone kind of seems to understand it. And I don't think lacrosse has as many rules. So it's on incumbent on us to figure out how do we better explain all those rules so more people can watch it. So I know that was a mouthful, but those are kind of all the strategies, the multi-prong approach, you know, bottom up, top down, and then just sort of understand our customer better, understanding our fan better. Um, and, and really trying to drive through, especially with those new fans, how do we make them, you know, sticky, long-term, uh, valuable customers for us? Yeah, and I love that. I love the anecdote you shared about an individual wanting to know more because it's not about just keeping the regular lacrosse fan. It's more than that. And what struck a chord in my mind is up the organization by Robert Townsend. He uh, took Avis Renicar to where it should be. It was way behind, and they took it to number one. Uh, up the organizations about uh, how to stop the corporation from stifling its people and, and strangling profits. And it's uh, something that I do with my clients is the stop, start, continue. Whether that's a one week or a month later, it's like it's not always that you have to do more. Maybe you have to get feedback on what you're doing uh, incorrectly or you could do better uh, and then work from there. But in your answer, the two things that really stuck out to me um, that you touched upon multiple times in your response were people and storytelling. Uh, And I love the fact that you brought up the women's game, not the men's players, the staffing that you have at the PLL, the PLL Academy, and then the fans. Because if you get the people right, uh, the, the corporation will be right in and of itself. And then the storytelling leads into my next question. One of my favorite quotes is nobody cares about how how much you know until they know how much you care, right? And there's that balancing act of uh, distributing knowledge of the of the rules, uh, but they also need to know that you care. So maybe it's that uh, that soft touch you have with the fans. Um, many people within the lacrosse world um, know how the PLL came about, but let's know why, and specifically why it's important to you, Mike, uh, to start the new league. So could you share a little bit more of the personal reasoning and the story behind it, like your why behind starting the league? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. So the, the why for me was um, I was in Silicon Valley. I had spent five years building a fintech company called Funding Circle, which um, was a very personal company to me because it was providing a transparent, low-cost business loans to small business owners and entrepreneurs um, in a fast and reliable way and, and leveraging technology to underwrite them uh, and make sure that they are creditworthy. And it was a marketplace where investors would come in and purchase those loans. Uh, we ended up taking that public. It was an incredible journey. Um, I was, you know, one of 10 people that started a little, uh, little business in, in San Francisco and ended up getting acquired by funding circle. And then we grew the business. Um, and so I felt like I had this, this really good, um, understanding of, of how to grow and scale a business quickly. Um, but I, but I was on the management team and I, and I wasn't one of the co-founders. And so, um, while I had a, a large voice in the direction and it was a very well-run business and, and Samir Desai, who's still the, the CEO of Funny Circle, he's actually an investor in, in the PLL. Um, I, I felt like I wanted to really test myself and, and lead a company um, and I wanted to do something ambitious. And so I was looking at a myriad of things. I was looking at buying a company, a couple ideas I had. Um, um, and I had, I had run small businesses before funding circle, but they, they weren't sort of on a larger scale. They were, they were gyms and, um, you know, I don't want to denigrate gym owners. I started with one gym in Joppa, Maryland, uh, and grew that portfolio to nine and then built uh, a spin studio and built that to five. And so, but, I, but I was always kind of doing, um, something where, uh, I had partners and I wanted to do something larger. And so I was trying to figure that out. Long story short, um, obviously Paul and I have spent a ton of time together. Uh, we're best friends. Um, and I was helping, you know, tangentially helping him with his career as a professional lacrosse player. And I just, 
really grew tired of, of, of having to not listen, but feel the, the, the pain that he was feeling of being a professional lacrosse player and the current league that was underserving himself and the players. Um, and so, you know, was pour, I saw my brother uh, pouring his heart and soul into this thing and there were sponsors and he was growing the league and one of the first players ever to, to really adopt all these forms of, of social and digital um, he would get made fun of by older guys for having a YouTube channel and, and he was sticking through it. And, and, and so, you know, sort of the older brother started kicking in and me kicking in for me and saying, Hey, like if this league is underserving the players, they don't care. Um, they don't have a, it's, you know, a hobby for some of these guys who are already wealthy looking to, you know, sit on this waterfront real estate and get more wealthy. Why don't we just go buy it? It's distressed. And so that was the approach. And I, I've told that before, but it was more of like the why to your question was like, I'm going to help my brother out right now because I don't like to see him in this pain, putting everything he has into the sport and not serving him and underserving his, his friends and him. And, um, you know, they didn't take us seriously. Um, I spent about, I left my job at funding circle, spent about six months trying to get a deal done, flying back and forth from San Francisco to Boston. And then we finally got to a place where we said, Hey, look, if they're not going to take us seriously, we're going to do this on our own. And then we, we got very fortunate to find a bunch of believers in us, um, not only in us as, as, as leaders of the business, um, but also uh, the early players who, who believed in the vision. Um, and obviously we, we, we paid our players a lot more than they're making the other league and gave them health care and stock options, which is something no other sports league has ever done, but also the business model of touring to different cities um, and allowing people who have never seen professional across live uh, consume it in that way. And then going out and, you know, saying that we're going to get a broadcast deal with a major network partner and getting it done. Um, and, and, and bringing lacrosse to the masses and, and, you know, fine tuning some of the rules that were a little bit an, antiquated to, to make the game a little bit, a little bit more exciting without stripping the integrity from it. So long story short, like it, it was more of like, I wanted to go do something highly ambitious. Um, probably it's in there for another conversation on my own ego. Um, but more, more so, you know, seeing this, this pain for that my brother was dealing with and, and wanting to problem solve that. Oh yeah. I absolutely love that. And I mean, you just talked about storytelling and thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that story because it really sheds light on, uh, what makes PLL so special. It's this foundation that has you behind it, right. And that story behind it. And, uh, I was just listening to a podcast with, uh, Blake Mikowski, uh, who started, uh, Tom's right the shoe company and, and uh, he's also started many other companies but uh, something in performance that comes up a lot massive topic is nature versus nurture right a fixed mindset which is focused on talent and then a growth mindset which is focused on skill development uh, and this is less a, uh, a question as it is I just want to get your thoughts on it because you, you see it as a buzzword now entrepreneurship and you starting five companies uh, and it's interesting to hear that you had a large voice in funding circle but now you're the founder right and it's even bigger, but all and what, and what, going back to what Blake would talk about is it's less about wanting to start companies and more about wanting to solve problems, right? And you talked about uh, your relationship with Paul and, and, and why you saw it was important to solve this problem and to set up a new league and then do it to the best of your ability. So when I pass that thought over to you, What's your view on entrepreneurship? Do you think it's something that has more to do with genetics or is it something that you've developed a skill over time at and, and, and why do you continue on the entrepreneurship uh, road that you're on? Oh man, such a, such a deep question. I could probably ramble on this for a long time. I think it, there's a couple things that go into it. Um, the first is risk tolerance. Everyone's risk tolerance is different and a lot of that is individualized. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough that 
you know, my dad and my mom were able to, you know, pay for, for college for me. So I didn't have large business loans. Um, but you know, my first job out of school was at a, a big uh, publicly traded um, real estate company where I was on the consulting team. And um, I lived at home for those four years, uh, commuted into Washington, D.C. every day. And I just stayed, saved money. And I saved enough balance sheet money by living at home, not having to pay rent, that I was able to take um, about 80% of the money and put it into the first gym I ever built. I remember writing that check and walking to Bank of America and being like, all right, all or nothing here. I'm going to go be an entrepreneur, right? Um, and it was more, I think, to your question around serving, you know, serving um, my own ego around wanting to do something for myself and prove to, I always just have this chip on my shoulder. I think probably like most people are listening to this podcast are, are highly ambitious. I know you are. Um, and, and, and it's like, uh, just being honest, it's, it's sort of around like, you know, I want to prove to myself and others that I can go do this, that I can build something. And I also wanted to learn. I also wanted to learn what it took to build something and learn about marketing, learn about operations and people management and finance. Um, and so while I was get, had a great experience at Jones Lang and, and was on the consulting team, I was an analyst and, um, you know, I was sort of a cog in a wheel and it was a great wheel. Don't get me wrong, but I, I wanted to get out there and, and sort of prove myself. And then it was also young. I didn't, I didn't have, um, you know, mortgage. I didn't have a family that I had that, that pressure. Right. Um, and you see plenty of great entrepreneurs who go and build things with that type of pressure and they still feel passionate and they leverage everything. But for me, I, I thought about, okay, I'm going to start this journey when I'm unleveraged. Um, and I always thought to myself and I always said, worst case scenario, I can go work at Nordstrom's and sell shoes because I read Good to Great and you know, by Jim Collins and, and he talks about Nordstrom's like promoting within and no matter what, they'll always hire you know, shoe salespeople. And so I said, I can sell. I'm going to go sell shoes. Worst case, this thing fails. Um, and I still could kind of go back to that today. It's like worst case scenario, I'm going to go sell shoes, right? And then I can work my way up at Nordstrom. And so that was like my mental mantra. Um, and so I kind of got to a place where you start building a skill set and you start building a track record and you start getting investor faith and you know, and you understand how you build these skill sets. Like I said, of, of entrepreneur, of in entrepreneurship, it, it takes everything. You got to know about marketing, you got to know about people management, operations, finance, uh, capital raising. And so I kind of got to this place where I just kind of wanted to do more and more and more and more. Um, and then, you know, eventually you kind of get to a place where you're, you don't think about, I don't even know if anyone would ever hire me at a corporation right now. Um, uh, because I've just been an entrepreneur for so long, they probably think, well, he doesn't know how to be managed um, or he can't be managed. And maybe that's true. But for me, I, I, I think about, you know, we only have one life. I think about the, the biggest thing for me that, that I think about is how do I bring people with me that are smarter than me um, who are going to help build this mission and this company we have. And we can all be rewarded, hopefully, with, with monetary upside. Um, and, and so for me, it's, it's always been about how do I bring on great people and how do we you know, build this common goal of building something great? Um, and so I think that, you know, each entrepreneur has their own journey. Um, I think that, uh, you know, you kind of hit on it a little bit around, um, what the, what the energy, where their energy is, if it's around like, a uh, an economic outcome, then they're going to be doing, making short-term decisions that may be at the, the traction of the, of the right decision for the company. Um, whereas if you are passionate or you're problem solving, like your reference, you're gonna likely be making decisions, the right decisions for the long term. Now, those are always debatable and those are always the hardest decisions. But for me, um, in a similar way, I've always had a bit of um, 
uh, I've always had energy around what I was doing and what the mission was, right? And if I wasn't passionate about the mission, I knew I couldn't hang in there and persevere. And I think that's the hardest thing is, is building a company, no matter what it is, whether it's, um, you know, a, a, a trucking company or a, the Premier Lacrosse League, it is really hard. It's competitive. It is difficult. Um, and there are no handouts. And, you know, you have to persevere through a ton. And so if you don't believe in the mission of the company, if you don't think there is something more altruistic than just making money, you're probably not going to hang in there and see it through. Um, and so, yeah, everyone wants to have the monetary outcome, no doubt. That's why we're in business and we're in a for-profit. But at the same time, if you don't believe in the purpose, if you don't believe in the mission of the business, if you don't, if the people don't feel that, uh, and in our business in particular, the players and, and our staff, then it's not going to win. So that, that's ultimately how I, how, I, how I think about it. I think it has to be a blend of both. It has to be risk-taking. It has to be, you know, self-actualization of, of why you're doing something. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe there's a world where, you know, whatever happens with the PLL, if I'm here for another 20 or if I'm here for, you know, a couple more years, I, I uh, hope it's 20. But, you know, we do have a board I report into. I, I have bosses as well. Um, and we'll see if I build something again or if I go into the, the corporate world. Um, but for me right now, I, I get a, I derive energy for, for building a team and finding that, that, that common purpose. So much. Oh, beautifully answered. And thank you so much. Yeah, going back to how you started it, uh, pushing your, your chips to the center of the table, right? Uh, after living at home for four years, uh, something that is a great idea to understand is fear exists as long as you don't take action, right? And it probably felt a really great signing that, that check over because now you're in the water, right? And, it, and it's no more uh, dipping the toe in or anything like that. Do I even want to go in? No, you're in. And now uh, the, the, the brain, our mind is only focused on one thing, getting you through that, right? I ran the New York City Marathon in 2017. And when that first gun goes off, okay, you got 26.2. And this mind up here is only thinking about getting you, what is it going to take to get to the end of this marathon, which is just a little microcosm and metaphor with what's really going on. I loved your point on risk tolerance. Uh, there's a there's a school and, and staying along the, the growth mindset and skill development, there's a school that rather than say this student got an F, they say not yet. And that's really, really mm -hmm. important to put into your routine vocabulary because it's amazing for problem solving, right? If you thought you just failed and you're done, then it's fixed and they can't be changed. Um, but they give this student on the report card a not yet. And that just means maybe if you persevere a little bit more, like you were talking about long-term mission, long-term passion, belief, what you were talking about. I love that. That's Angela Duckworth. Number one attribute, for long-term success is grit, right? So you're, you're all over that. And I, I, the last word that you said there that was beautiful was learn, right? In, in, the, in the fact that, okay, whatever happens, it's not the end all be all and I'm gonna learn. And if it doesn't, it doesn't work out for me, what's the worst that can happen? Nordstrom's and I'll work my way up from there. So I just, I love that all in approach that, the willing, that, that you're willing to take that risk and then bring people along with you. Uh, you shared a quote uh, during your keynote address inside the bu bubble. Um, and it was from Nelson Mandela. And, and then I heard Paul actually reference it again uh, on the podcast with Inside the Cross just recently. And it was, quote, how sport has the power to change the world, end quote. And it could be longer than that. But what does that Mandela quote mean to you? Why does it resonate here and now in today's climate? And, and why did you say it during that keynote address? Yeah, I think um... – well, to answer sort of all the way back inside the keynote, it was, um, it was, it was, it was, you know, I wanted to be in front of everyone. We did it virtually. So not being able to like feel and touch everyone was, was, it, uh, it was it's difficult always uh, when you're giving a, a keynote. Um, 
But I wanted to, to talk about what we were at a greater level, not only just sort of, hey, we need to, this is going to be different. It's, it's going to be uh, inside a bubble and we need to follow protocol. I wanted to talk about what the greater um, opportunity was. And, you know, I was having this discussion with Joe Ty, who was on our board, and we were talking about sort of bringing lacrosse back on a national stage with how high school programs were shut down because of the pandemic, college was uh, shut down because of the pandemic. Br bringing lacrosse back and bringing sport back was, was not only for those fans, but for, for, for a sense of normalcy. Um, and then you, you layer on um, all of the, the, the racial injustice um, that's been you know, better brought to light most recently. And, you know, the fact that the tensions are high right now. Um, it was uh, an opportunity to speak to people um, and, and use someone far smarter and wiser than me and, and use his quote and talk about what the power of sport can do. And so it was, it was less for me around the, the power to change the world um, but it was, uh, I think there was a part in there where he talks about, it says it also has the power to unite people in a way that little less, little else does. And so that, that piece spoke to me the most because I felt like we needed to be united, not only as a, as a, as a country, but as a world. And I thought that we could play a small part in that as the PLL in, in using our sport and uniting people together during this really difficult time. Uh, and so that's why I wanted to relay that. And that's why to the players on that keynote. And that's why I use that, uh, that quote from, from Nelson Mandela. And in, in peak performance, it's so important to uh, stay in the present moment. And uh, fortunately, when, when people are tuned, tuned into NBC and watching uh, the, the best sport in the world, and in our opinion, uh, they have to be completely present and they can't be anxious about anything in the future uh, or stressed out about what's going on. They're completely present with us uh, and all that thing, all that matters is the action and the win, lose or draw, which is going on internally. And so awesome. And, and thank you for speaking to it. Uh, I was speaking to one of my mentors yesterday, Dr. Christina Versari, uh, who just retired as a head sports psychologist for the NBA. And she was speaking about the importance of internal belief system and vision uh, that all leaders have. Uh, where would you say you bolstered your such a high amount of belief uh, and drive? Who impacted that for you um, over the years? Oh, man. Um, I think, you know, going back to your place around nature versus nurture, I think some of it's nature um, for me. Um, you know, we are uh, the descendants of, of Lebanese immigrants. Um, my dad's second generation. And, you know, the, the Lebanese, um, when they, you know, a, a large uh, swath of them came over in the early 1900s and through Ellis Island. And, and they had, just like a lot of other European uh, immigrants, um, came through during that time, but they had to kind of fight for themselves. Um, and they were business builders and, and my family in particular, we, we owned some garment stores um, and uh, they, they, you know, they were, they were entrepreneurs. And I think some of that's just like in wired in me. Um, and so I think that there's that piece around just, just that. And then, um, you know, I think that, for, from, a, from a visionary perspective, I don't think uh, it's something I actually practice. I don't think it's innate to me. And, and that's just me being candid. I think I'm constantly challenging myself. Like, am I being visionary enough for this company? Um, it's my responsibility as the CEO to have vision and to drive vision. Um, and so, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and by any means and, and, and even try to draw corollaries to myself to, uh, to, to like a Steve Jobs or a Bill, Bill Gates. I think those, those, those guys are innately visionary. 
um, or Elon Musk, they just see things. For me, it's something I try to practice and know it's part of my job. And so reading a lot, having informed conversations um, and, and, and speaking to, you know, our, our customers, our fans and our players and my, and my colleagues allows me to triangulate those three areas and try to push on, okay, what is next? How do we do this in a prudent way? How do we get even bigger? How do we drive this faster? And I think that's really what vision is. So I think it's one part of innate in me uh, and then two, knowing how important it is to the success of a business in this fast changing world. I spend a portion of my time, I block out an hour every single day from 9.30 to 10.30, which is you know prime working hours. But I know if I have that space, it's not for email clutter, it's for the space of how do I think more? And so I'll, I'll spend time in my Evernote and I'll write things down. I'll look at my visionary list. Am I pushing on this? Have I had a call at this person? Have I read this? Um, have you have you talked to this hedge fund manager who's, who's looking at macro trends, who has access to data that you don't? And, and those things are all important to, to deriving you know, visionary theses. It's awesome, man. And I, what comes to mind is building the narrative uh, to me, right? So uh, whether it's nature and you coming over from a Lebanese immigrants or you just understanding that story and building that narrative, right? That's what I want with this podcast for people to listen to it and build the narrative in their, inside their own hearts and minds and say, I can use that as hope, as strength, as energy for the day to day, right? I love that you block out an hour. I was reading one of the best uh, books I've ever read called The Art of Learning about Josh Waitskins. He's a world champion chess player and push hands Tai Chi uh, with something that's physical and, and, and something that's more cognitive. And, and he also comes from the idea of blocking out an hour for thinking time. Don't build your day around meetings, build them about thinking time. Cause we all have those peak energy periods of where we can practice being a visionary. I mean, it was such a, a, a well put answer there. Uh, staying along the same thread of influences, right? You have that deliberate practice that you do individually. Uh, are there any specific stories uh, that come to mind uh, that you remember having that thought, crave, or urge to go create something big or profound, right? You, you talked about uh, saving up money earlier, but was there any specific story along that time period where you were like, I got to go do this. I got to go, I got to go make something uh, of, of myself or a, a business. Uh, was there a kind of an inflection point or was that something that was built all along the way through high school and college? <sighs> Yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know, I've, like I said, I think there's the innate part of me that's just always been sort of a scrapper. Um, I think it's the, the sort of the, the Lebanese genes in me. You know, we did everything from, you know, uh, shoveling driveways um, to selling lemonade to I worked construction in college before I started doing internships later in college to when I was in high school, I had a job at Maggie Moo's and was, it was uh, slinging ice cream. It's like Cold Stones, but it's Maggie Moo's different franchise. Uh, and so I did that all, all three years of, of high school after I was a freshman. Um, and so I think that I've always just kind of been scrappy and wanted to, to, to make money and use my time. Um, and, and so I think that's, that's one piece of it. Um, but I also think that if, if you know, you're, you're, you're driving um, and you're around great people who are, who are driven, that's going to allow you to pick up on threads of, of information that better inform you of, of your own value system. So, so my, my own value system, I've spent you know, some time on this and, and, you know, it's, it's a combination of, um, you know, uh, bringing people along with me on a, an important journey to build something that's mission driven. Um, it's, it's building um, economic uh, opportunity and value for those people uh, and for myself um, and for my family, for my future family. Um, 
And then eventually, if I ever get to that place, giving back to the type of place where I came from and specifically the high school I went to, which is, which was a, a tough high school with a, a lower graduate graduation rate than the average in Montgomery County. Um, and so if, if I can use hope, you know, hopefully success that I have, if I ever do one day to, to build those communities and high schools, particularly where I went, um, uh, that, that will be important. So I've kind of used that. Um, and that was kind of always a little bit of my value system, especially when I went to Dartmouth, I think I, my eyes were opened. I went to a tough public school graduation rate was around 50%. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, your room, your roommates are people who went to Hotchkiss and boarding schools and already knew they wanted to be an investment banker at 18 years old. And, um, so that kind of opened my eyes, like I said, or, uh, to what the opportunity set was, but I knew my value system is that I wanted to find a way to, to, to work with great people um, and to drive economic opportunity. And so then once you surround yourself with those types of people um, and get access to information like Dartmouth gave me um, and, and helped me build that network, you start stringing together advice and you start to get to a place where you're like, okay, for me, based on my own skill set, um, I think this is the best best path for me to create what I want to create, um, and then also build what I want to build. And so I think I think that's essentially kind of uh, it wasn't like an inflection point. I, I do remember a couple of conversations I had with my uh, freshman year roommate, who was my business partner for the first couple of ventures that I did. Um, and particularly, we I think we used to talk late because I would be in the office. Uh, you know, I was at, at Jones Lang. I was worked for a managing director who, you know, was at the office till 10 and I stayed till 10. Right. And, um, we would have call, and then he worked at summit partners. Um, my old partner, Alex Tonelli, he worked at summit partners in Boston. It's a PE shop. And we would talk at 11 o'clock at night. Um, and we'd be like, okay, you know, what are you working on? What am I working on? And I learned a ton from him and, um, and we talk about building things one day and this is the way to really drive equity and to own something. And so I think those early conversations with him, once we were exposed were, pretty valuable um, in, in, in pushing me forward and, and you know, setting this path. Sweet, man. I mean, surrounding yourself with great people. Well said. And in terms of, I always say to the clients I work with, who are you bringing with you? So I love that. I said, if we were all sailboats and we're leaving tomorrow, uh, you can surround yourself with anchors or wind. And I always challenge them to go find wind. And I think that's awesome, whether it's a personal thing or business. And my next topic or question involves confidence. Confidence comes from competence. And uh, you obviously know what that's like to run a business, given your resume. Uh, are there any areas or, or arms of the PLO? that you were less confident about, had the most learning to do, or rely upon others to tackle problems in a specific piece of the whole puzzle? Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's, that was the first thing that I needed to do when I was figuring this out. I knew it. we needed Paul. Paul is a, um, I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to be biased, so the, but I think he's brilliant when it comes to media, and particularly digital media. Uh, he's also creative, um, and he's been able to build and bring on an incredibly creative team with him. And I just knew that the, the future of sports was digital, the future of sports was social, um, in addition to broadcast. And we needed that creativity, that brilliant mind. Um, he was an early adopter and I've been able to watch him blossom uh, in an incredible way and become even more visionary. Um, and so uh, particularly about like marketing and, and, and media consumption and, and, and the future of sport. And, and uh, that to me was, was just table stakes. So I spent a bunch of time trying to, to convince him that this was, you know, the, the, the right sacrifice to take because, you know, he said, you know, I'm likely going to lose my sponsorship, uh, which New Balance was feeding him and his, his family. And, um, and, and, you know, I'm going to have to sacrifice training and, uh, for building and I'm not going to be the, the player that I was. And, and, you know, that was, 
a big sacrifice that he made, but I knew I needed him. Um, and then, so, the, and then the second piece was operations. Um, and I knew that while I, I, I had and understand operations, I don't necessarily have the attention span uh, to really uh, spend uh, uh, that necessary time um, to, to sort through the details. And so I need, knew I needed an incredible operations person. And so uh, the first hire uh, that we, that we made was uh, who now uh, we promoted to COO Andrew Sinnenberg. And I recruited him out of business school. I had heard about him. He was at Spartan race. He helped build Spartan, which is a touring based league. Um, and I ended up flying uh, from San Francisco to Philadelphia. He was, uh, had a couple offers from private equity companies. He was graduating um, uh, at Wharton and took him to dinner and, and convinced him he should come join us. And it, it helped that obviously he played, well, that he played lacrosse at, uh, at, at, at Bowen. But um, uh, I think that it, it was important that I was able to connect with him and recruit him um, and bring him on early. So he was able to help structure this. And then, you know, also legal, right. I don't, I'm not, I'm not an attorney and was able to, to, to be connected to a really strong, um, attorney who, who has a great background at Herrick and, uh, especially particularly in, in litigation. And, um, he, he, he just understands contract law. Um, he understands business well, uh, Rob Sanzillo, he's now our general counsel and promoted him. And, and so, um, I think that, for me, I knew I had these, these holes and, and these, these, you know, lack of this, this sort of these holes in my skill set, and I needed to fill them pretty quickly. Um, and I think any great entrepreneur that says they don't, and they don't have blind spots is, um, is, is just sort of aligned to themselves. And so I knew I needed those three gaps filled. And then pretty much everyone else at the company is, is providing uh, blind spot value that, that I, that I have a ton of. So, um, I think that that's, those were the areas right away that I really tried to focus on and drill in. And, and then the last piece is we take a bet on people. Um, and I didn't go out, you know, there, there were people who told me go out and hire like really senior executives who have been at leagues before and have built, um, you know, the, the NFL and, 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 you know, I chose to bring scrappy people on that had a passion for building uh, lacrosse that had a passion for building it from scratch um, and then believed in the mission and, and getting around the players and the fans and, um, and then, you know, promoting within if they excelled. And, and so far that's been successful for us. It's a great view. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is, uh, the Navy SEAL teams, right? It's not about what you did yesterday. It's about what, not, not even what you're going through. It's about what you're going to, what are you doing today? And, uh, something that came to mind was, uh, the Bruce Springsteen on Broadway. He was talking about how obviously there's new music coming to the forefront, but when him and his band used to get together, it was one plus one equals three. Right. And it just came alive in a different way. And that's what I thought about when you were talking about Paul, Andrew uh, and Rob. And it's very, very evident that that's the case where you bet on people, you surround yourself with the right people and you can uh, a fist is definitely stronger than a finger. Um, heading to the present present time, uh, optimal performance, according to Dr. Molinaro, occurs in an individual only only like 15% of the time, and the rest is uh, showing up and doing your work and uh, hoping for that chance to hit that 15%. So high performance is less about filling all hours of the day, and it's more about prioritization. Uh, how would you say you do in terms of setting boundaries and, and priorities inside your days? Yeah, I think um... – for, for me, it's, I've actually, uh, everyone says that, they, that they're like very routinized, I think, or at least or else when I listen to podcasts, and maybe everyone very is. Um, for me, it's, I try to do just 10 minutes of, of yoga in the morning. I found that meditation for me was too still um, and that I was antsy. And that's probably the reason for meditation. 
but at the same time, I felt like I needed to move. And so, and I also needed to sort of uh, stretch out some stress points in, in my body each morning. So that's actually been really helpful to give me a, a good head start. Um, and then, you know, I actually work a lot. And so like I spend time on Sundays looking at my calendar and being like, okay, how am I optimizing for um, not only people on my team, but external parties that are important. Where do I have breaks for vision? Where do I have breaks for you know, thoughtfulness, email clutter, responding to people? Where do I have sections for deep work? If I have a deep work project I need to work on, uh, whether it's a model or presentation, um, and really scheduling that out and being effective. And so when I know I have that space to do that on a Saturday or a Sunday, I know that my week or the two weeks that I'm planning will be efficient for me and I'll be more productive. Um, and so that's a big place for me. And I kind of just live to my calendar, right? Like after this, and I have a 30 minute block of transit and I'm going to go on a bike ride. And then after that, I want to do another, try to do another workout. And then after that, I want to do email inbox clearing. Um, and then Saturday night. Right. And so if I know that my weekend is planned, I'll have less anxiety heading into the week. Uh, cause I did the week, the work on the weekend. Um, and then just like I said, I, you know, my morning routine is, is very simple. It's just a 10 minute yoga uh, on Peloton app actually. And I download it and I just like open up my hips and my shoulders and do some breathing. And then I'm off to, off to the races. About a year ago, I sat down with uh, Joe Sai and we talked about for 20 minutes, probably awareness, Mike, your, your awareness is so high, man, regardless if it's uh, really, really structured and is what you need or whether you got to put these fires out or get to your deep work or get to the head start with yoga, yeah, at least you're aware of it. Right. And I think that's so so important to cultivate your awareness, right? And, and try things out, see a cause and effect in different things. And, and constantly, whether you're working on these endeavors or, or these actual chores and things that you have to do throughout the day, you're also working on your own self and, and building your awareness. Because once you have that, then you can orchestrate uh, a symphony, which is what question, you're doing. Question for you. Do you think um, you can build better awareness? I've, I've thought a lot about this and chewed on this and had conversations with friends about this because I agree uh, essentially talking about emotional intelligence, just general awareness um, of, of yourself and others around you. Do you think that's something, that a muscle you can build? Absolutely. I believe you can be trained to do anything. I think that that's the entire reason why I started this podcast is because if you listen and take this knowledge and put into action, I don't care what the problem is, you can be trained to do anything. I think the, the, one of the worst things you can have is a bad coach right? Mm -hmm. who, who, who instills a fixed mindset in, in, in you just because uh, there's no reason not to believe that you can do anything. And there's no reason to say, if I was to answer that question and say to you, no, no, you can't, you can't build awareness. Well, what does that do? It, it shuts that door, right? And, and there's definitely exercise you can do in terms of concentration, focus uh, that I do daily that, that you can cultivate uh, awareness, get to the present moment. I mean, present moment, I don't care if you're talking about a sports league, a sports team, or, or a player inside competition. It's all about getting to the present moment, which is the byproduct of working on every single thing, awareness being one of the things that you should train at. Uh, thank it. you. Thank you for sending that Love back that. over to me. Yeah. Um, uh, people buy into the leader before they buy into the vision. We talked about vision probably once or twice already. Um, but what are some habits on top of uh, the prioritization that you do um, or positive outlets, if you will, so go extended from the yoga that you consistently do to make sure you're ready for the day, to make sure you're ready for a big meeting or addressing your staff throughout the week? Yeah, I think um, the biggest thing for me uh, is, is preparation. So, uh, and it's, it's a simple one. But, uh, you know, we have a Tuesday morning meeting, it's the TMM, and I address the whole company. And 
Uh, we talk, we talk about sort of what's, what's going on at a high level general updates. Um, and then we do a presentation from someone in the organization where they talk about what they're working on. Um, and then we do, uh, and, and, and then we do awards where the team votes on, you know, bulldog award or the operator award. Um, and, uh, I spend usually Monday night prepping for those. Um, and then, so that just using that anecdotally, that's how I approach a lot of, you know, whether I have a meeting or this podcast or anything that's going on, I'm going to spend 15 minutes prior. Um, and so part of my calendar booking too, is making sure I have that 15 minutes before something that's important to just really prep and center myself, shut to close off my email because email is something that you can just get lost in, right? Shut down my text message. You can get lost in that and just really focus in on that meeting. And I think that whether it, you know, some certain people do well with taking notes, others just want to like think, um, uh, write down questions or write down what they want to say. Uh, for me, it's, it's a kind of a combination depending upon the meeting, but just prepping I think is important. Obviously that's hard if you're running back to back meetings and, and, and there are certainly days where I'm just jam packed and I just run from meeting to meeting to meeting and I'm unprepared and, and those are less effective, but I just try to be mindful around you know, the people that, um, are in those meetings and I want to be as prepared and present as I can. So we've gotten to a place too, where in our organization, where if, if you're hosting a meeting, if you're the host or the creator, you need to provide the agenda in the meeting invite. So people can look at the agenda before they go into the meeting and say, okay, this is what this is about. This is what we're going to cover. So the meeting's therefore more efficient. And then we always challenge ourselves before meeting invites sent out, say, does this need a meeting? Where can this be handled with a converse, fast conversation or can it be done, or is it done over email? Um, because there is, you know, meeting creep culture where there's just too many meetings and, and your day just gets stacked. Um, so those are like little things that, that, I, that I spend a lot of time thinking about. How do we make you know, our, our lives more efficient as individuals, but then as a company as well? You know, we, do, we have you know, 36 full-time employees. It's small for a sports league that owns uh, seven teams and also front office and does all the things we do. And so we ask a lot of people to wear a lot of hats uh, and to be efficient. And if we can provide those types of efficiency tricks, it's going to make us a better, well-run organization. Huge man. The, the, the idea that comes to mind for me is don't confuse busyness with business, right? You don't need a meeting for everything. And I, I love that, how you put that out there about preparation. And if I was to, if there's an athlete out there or a coach out there, or even an individual that's looking to become more successful in their business, it's the difference between thinking time and trusting time. And a peak performer can't think and act at the same time. So you preparing for that meeting, even if it's just for 15 minutes, allows you to go into that meeting and be in trusting time, right? Not, not thinking about what you have to say next. You can sync to your levels of training, or get to the unconscious competence of what you already went over before the meeting happened. If you're an athlete, it's before the game happens, right? That's why training is so important um, from an outside standpoint is, is saying, if you train with intensity, intention, and importance, don't be mm -hmm. surprised if great things happen on the field. Um, mm -hmm. and the same thing if you guys are running a TMM Tuesday morning meeting. Uh, and we're coming to the fourth quarter here. So I know how we start, start, started talking about the, it's not, the, the bubble's got to stay alive. It's not just starting the bubble. So here we go. Um, My favorite quarter. <laughs> there's a big difference between chasing success versus significance, right? Success is perhaps more monetary and pushes towards a more financial freedom. Significance strike sticks to storytelling. Like you talked about earlier, uh, positive impact, not just uh, within the organization, um, but what the PLL Academy and is doing for fans and, and young players and, and then legacy, right? Given the pressures and the obstacles you face on a regular regular basis, Mike, do you find it diff difficult to keep the long-term mission in mind day to day? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's, that's why uh, it's incumbent on me to, to reset our team 
on what the mission is. Uh, I think two weeks ago, I sort of restated what not only it reminded everyone of our mission. Uh, we always talk about our values. That's what the operator award is voted on is our values and who's living up to one or two of them or three of them. Um, but the mission is something that, that we go back to a lot and being trailblazers and, and building the future of, of the sport and building the best sports league ever. Um, and sort of that was a new mantra that I thought of. I did a digital detox uh, right after uh, the bubble was over. I, I took two days uh, to just put my phone and computer away. I shut them down and put them in my uh, backpack. Um, my fiance was happy about that, but I also tried to do some journaling and reading. Um, and it kind of got to a place where uh, I was, for the first time, I finally got a chance to, to read the biography by Walter Isaacson on just Steve Jobs. Um, and I was just struck around to your point uh, that you've been making throughout this, that um, Steve Jobs was always driven because at his core value, simplicity uh, and, and beautiful products was what he cared about. He never actually cared about building Apple. He cared about building products that were simple and intuitive for people to use. But that actually was, was, fr- well, was a core to him. Simplicity was, you know, he practiced Buddhism. He studied Buddhism. He was a vegan for a large part of it. He was a fruititarian. Um, and so just, you know, he used to, his, his, he walked into venture capital meetings, was raising money for Apple, uh, cause he hadn't showered in three days and he was conserving water and everything was like from this place of simplicity, uh, conserving energy and building something that people needed and then they didn't even know they needed yet. Um, and so that, that, that sort of value system has flowed through to the company, um, today and, and you see that consistency in their products. And so. I was thinking about that and I was just trying to really boil down what we were doing. And, and I said to the team, I said, after my digital detox, I, I just wrote down, you know, we are, you, everyone is here to build the best sports league in the world. That's why we're here. And we're going to do that in the next 10 years. And if you're not down with that, then, you know, you and I should have a conversation around why, and we should talk about difficulty. Obviously it's going to be difficult, but I don't think anyone here is trying to do anything easy. And we're all here to build the best sports league in the world. And lacrosse is that vehicle and that's it. Um, and it was just like very simple and it's easy to comprehend. And I think it's ambitious and energizing and it got me re-energized as well. Right. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that, that's essentially uh, where I was coming out. Yeah. I mean, there's so much going on in my head about, about what you said there. One was a little side note about how you said earlier that you, you struggle with meditation. It's a little bit too passive for you. If, mm-hmm. if you took the time to journal, right, that's physical meditation, right? I, I think yeah. I always push people to do that, that have t- trouble uh, sitting still and, and de-stressing, right? Because I think it also, if you have trouble de-stressing, you're the one who needs it most, right? Because mm-hmm. if you want to be completely on, you got to be able to be completely calm, right? And then I also was watching just the other with, with Penn and Ham was watching uh, the Steve Jobs on Netflix, right? And I was mm-hmm. writing down to, I was like, why does he care so much, you know, about, about, about such a minute thing, right? It, mm-hmm. it was something on a slide in one of his presentations, right? But, but yeah. the, it is so important that he cares so much because if he lets it slip, then somebody else lets it slip. And you were getting me all motivated and energized there about you talking to the team. Uh, I almost felt like I was listening to the inches speech from any given Sunday by Al Pacino because if you don't get this inch, right? If, if you let that inch go, then it'll turn into a, a foot and then it'll turn into a mile that you're behind. And it's so important for you especially to hold that responsibility of this matters. The mission still matters. I, I, I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but there's an amazing quote. If you want people to build you a ship, you don't talk about what's needed for the wood and screws and all the tools to build it. You talk about the immensity of the sea. 
right? And I think there's a lot of storytelling to that, but you're also saying to them, this is what we're after, this mission of exploration, right? And building the best sports league, not, not about the X's and O's in the day-to-day. Those matter, but we're really what, where we're going is this long-term vision of building the best sports league, which is so powerful. Thank you. The most important question I can ask you, man, is, is what do you know now that you wish you knew then? Uh, if you were to pick one lesson learned or, or maybe two, uh, if, you, if the two come to mind, uh, along your journey with the PLL or your entire career that you could pass on to a peer or younger individual as advice, uh, what would it be? Yeah. Most of the stuff for me um, that is, I think is important um, is, you know, interpersonal relationships and the way you communicate and the way you make people feel. And that starts essentially with yourself. Um, and you know, I've, I've done therapy, um, DBT, uh, I'm looking to get back in it. I was interviewing a new therapist, uh, actually last night, um, just w- want to do some more personal work on myself. And, uh, she asked me, why don't you do, why don't you just, uh, interview a business coach? Seems like you've done you know, enough therapy. You understand DBT pretty well. Like, why don't you, uh, and I was like, well, because business, I know enough about strategy and business and I'm going to continue to learn and be a student, but I know enough now that I, that I think the important piece is like the more secure I am, the more empathic, the more compassionate I am, um, will translate into better performance of the company just because my job is to communicate. My job is to have conversations. My job is to um, under, have people comprehend what we're building and why we're building it in a very compassionate way. And I can only do that if I am secure um, and if I am... Um, uh, my ego, I can, I can, I can put my ego aside or understand where my ego is coming from, uh, with people. And so, um, that's like piece one is just like, I think the best business people are, are aware, like we talked about, but also secure and getting secure is secure. It's a journey, a lifelong journey, and that takes work on yourself. Um, and so there's no better place to put money than in, in on yourself. And so I think therapy is, is a big piece uh, for me. Um, and so, you know, business leaders that are looking to you know, build great teams. I think that's a, a piece of advice. And then uh, two others are from a football coach um, at Dartmouth that I had, I spent time with. Um, and, you know, I, I get riled up about like um, uh, small things sometimes. And I'll be like, you know, this person said this, or like they made this decision and it's like bothering me. And he said to me, he's coach Johnson, Doug Johnson. Um, he said, he said, uh, he said, Rabes, it's all small change. And I was like, what do you mean coach? And he's like, it's all small change. Like most of the stuff in life is small change. And if you just understand that, you're not going to get so stressed. You're going to be calmer. You'll be able to have better mental clarity. You'll be able to make better decisions. Um, And so I kind of apply that to things. I'll feel myself get bothered about something and I'll take a step back and say, it's just small change. Um, And then the sort of the last one um, is it's like pretty simple. Uh, that coach Jay also gave me is uh, he said, I said, coach, what I was, cause he's just like full of wisdom. He's been through so much. Um, and uh, I said, I was talking to him and he was in New York. He was visiting me when I was living in this like shoebox apartment with like three other roommates and building gyms. And he came down to visit me from Vermont and we were having dinner. And he said, um, he said, I was like, coach, like, what's the, like, what's the biggest piece of advice you like know now after all you've been through, cause he's been through so much. And he was just like, he's like, um, be kind it's the easiest thing to do. Uh, and it's free. And I was like, huh? I was like, let's unpack that. And so we we would just work through it. And it was just around like, it's very simple and it's something that's not top of mind. And his thing was like, if you can remind yourself on a consistent basis to be kind to people, 
you'll get, you'll, 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 the conversations will be easier. You'll likely be able to achieve what you want to achieve. It doesn't cost you anything. And so um, I think it's a practice that eventually becomes habit forming. Um, and it sort of softens our, our hard shells and our, our, you know, how we're wired as humans. Uh, sort of that fight or flight mentality, uh, fight mentality and, and why we're here and taming our lizard brain. And so I think that that to me um, is something I try to think about is, is, is be kind because it, uh, it's just going to make life a lot easier and interactions and what we want to get done a lot easier. Thank you, Mike. From a psychology standpoint, it's not what's going on around you or to you. It's what's going on inside you, right? And you hear this across all fields, whether it's work, uh, any endeavor or relationships. Uh, if you want to love your job, your career, a loved one, a friend, more or better, you better love yourself more or better, right? And the most important work we'll ever do uh, is to work with ourselves, right? So that was well said by you. Thank you so much for sharing that and being vulnerable. Uh, you have been outstanding uh, in your given field of influence, right? Uh, when you think of individuals and other companies at the top of their industries, I know you brought up Steve Jobs already. Uh, what is common among them? In other words, my final question, uh, how would you define greatness? Oh, man, that's that. I I understand why that's your final question. I think um, there's there's a couple ones. I think uh, I uh, so in in our organization, the PLL, I always like to think about people that are are building greatness. And um, I think uh, Kyle Harrison particularly has been um, not only is he overseeing player relations, but uh, he has been building our diversity inclusion practice. Um, and he's been building it for the greater part of the year. And, and, you know, obviously the last three to four months, um, have been stressful on him as a black person. And then also where we take our diversity inclusion business, um, and how, and, and underscoring the importance of it. You know, not only we were, have we been doing it for a while, but you know, where, what do we do now? How do we resource it better? Um, and so Kyle, uh, does a really good job of, you know, defining his greatness by listening. Um, and aggregating information and then coming to the table with ideas and, and working. Um, you know, every call I have with Kyle, he's always prepping. He provides his thoughts in a Google doc that we go over before, he sends it to me before calls. Um, and he's just fully invested in driving more diversity, inclusion, and supporting uh, the black community um, in America, but specifically in lacrosse in a better way. And he's, and he's driving that for us, um, making us better, um, allowing us to have those difficult and hard conversations uh, through his listening. And I think listening uh, really defines great leadership, uh, in my opinion. And then I think the second piece is, um, he's not the CEO anymore, but he was of, uh, of LinkedIn, um, Jeff Weiner, uh, And he uh, defines uh, management through, uh, he has a practice called compassionate management. Um, and a lot of uh, threads he pulls from Buddhism, which, which he studies and he talks about. But um, I've just never, I, I think for just from like a pure example perspective, I think he's one of the greatest CEOs ever. I think that he, um, not only ties in uh, a practice of, uh, empathy and compassion, but then defining and, and bifurcating the two into the way he distills management all the way through his huge organization, but then also talks about their goals and their priorities and how they evolve. And, um, in a very simplistic way, LinkedIn's a very complicated business. Um, but he was able to scale, build it, uh, previously he was a product manager at Yahoo, which was a big job, but you know, it wasn't like he had this like very storied background. Um, Reed Hoffman brought him in and was like, you're going to be this, you're going to, you know, you're a smart, intelligent person and 
you're going to have to you know scale this thing because there's, there's product market fit and, and and he really scaled that organization through um, the way he managed people, but then also the clarity of his vision for LinkedIn, but was was open to being malleable throughout the process. And I think that 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 you know that translates to me and 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 really uh, treating people in your organization uh, simply on how you wanted to be treated and understanding where they're coming from and even if it doesn't work out compassionately saying, okay, this is, this is how we're going to, you know, go about this. And I think that led to incredible culture and then obviously the exit through Microsoft, but he really focused on the people um, and great communication and treating them well. And, and, and to me, he built in a great company and was a great leader. And so I think those two uh, people and, and those characteristics really stand out to me. Thank you, man. I mean, from the, from the Jeff, uh, compassionate man- management, I came across a quote that said, uh, management, uh, is making sure things are right and leadership is making sure you do the right things. And in both of those stories about Kyle and Jeff um, all surround about people and, and treating others, not necessarily your given craft or whatever it is, treating others the right way. I, I too agree about Kyle Harrison's uh, listening skills. The three most important words uh, you can tell another individual uh, are, are tell me more. Right. It just means that you, you want to learn. You're, you're searching for information rather than affirmation about what you already believe. Uh, I want to thank you, man, for, for your time, one, uh, for being so open and, and vulnerable, um, but then also for uh, showing us the way at PLL and continuing to strive for greatness yourself. So thank you so much, man. I appreciate our relationship. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it, too. And uh, I can only get there because you're a great interviewer. So appreciate what you're doing and keep it up.